Well, before we dive into the book of Ruth, uh, a wonderful story we've been walking through over the last few weeks, here's what I want to do. I want to invite every single one of you tonight at 6 o'clock. If the Lord stirs in your heart to come to a time we're having over in the apex, and that is a really a training time, but it's really an information time as well for what we call discipleship groups. And I want to take just a few moments at the beginning of our sermon to walk it through because it's something that we've launched in January. And it's been exciting to see how the leaders and those that are involved in discipleship groups have really, really taken to the Word of God and to the community that they're building there. And there's a, a description of discipleship groups there in your bulletin on the, on the back. There's a wonderful, wonderful description of what that is. And really, simply, discipleship groups are a part of our strategy of making disciples of all of our people. And life groups are such an important part of our church, and they teach the Word, and there's care, and there's community in those classes. We have Bible studies on Wednesday nights. We have Bible studies in different times. But then we've added, in January, discipleship groups. And here's what they are. There's simply three to five men and three to five women together. And the curriculum that they follow, the course that they teach, the content of their entire time together is the Word of God. Reading the Word of God regularly throughout the week and then gathering once a week with those individuals to share and to encourage and to challenge, to uh, be authentic with one another, to really be transparent with their lives and to have people that they can walk with in a very, very intimate basis. And so we're so excited about how these groups are forming. And so we have a time of training and information this evening. And I, I want you to come, but I want you to hear a story, a testimony, really an interview I'm going to have with Lori Buck. Lori, come on up here. I wanted to do this on Mother's Day. And I interviewed Mitzi Ballantyne, one of our grandmothers, uh, in the 9 o'clock series. Uh, but this is Lori. Lori is married to Benj, Benj Buck, and they have Vivian, and they have Jackson, and they have sweet, sweet Lily. And so we are so grateful for Lori, you sharing uh, this morning about discipleship groups. And let me ask you just a couple of questions as you talk about what your experience has been. Thought number one, what was your hesitation? When you hear the word D group, you hear a weekly gathering, you hear the word of God, it can be kind of overwhelming. But what was your initial thought? Well, my initial reaction was um, not interested. And I, <laughs> that's horrible. Thank you to for say, your honesty. But, but I, um, I'm a busy mama, like a lot of um, you women in here. I have three kiddos, and um, I'm involved at Taylor's already. So I thought, you know, I just have enough on my plate. And I wasn't interested. But what happened was a friend came to me and she wasn't a really close friend at the time. But she said, come on and just meet with some girls for about six weeks. And I said, okay, because I can get out of it after six weeks. But what happened was I started to form relationships with those women. And I found out that it wasn't that, that year-long commitment piece that seemed so scary to me wasn't actually as scary as I had thought. And that it's really just looking at my little chart at day one and reading that chapter or two, writing down some things, and then sharing when we go to our groups. And it's much more like meeting friends for coffee. And once it was in my schedule every week, and I didn't have that decision fatigue of finding out, you know, just trying to figure out if I was going to go or not or which study I was going to do the next six weeks or whatever, then I really found that it wasn't, it wasn't scary. And also, our group is a bunch of mamas like me. So sometimes there are sick kiddos and sometimes there are, 
um, doctor's appointments, and we just love each other through that. It's a commitment, and we want to be there, but if we can't make it, then we, we love each other through that. So yeah. it wasn't as intimidating once I got in. Yeah, that's really good. And you mentioned filling out the script. Walk me through the HEAR journal. Walk me through what you go through on your, in your daily time with the Lord in the Word. And let, let me say this before you do. All of the surveys and all of the research is coming to bear, and here's what they're saying. You ready? The number one indicator of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, far and away, the number one indicator is whether or not people are engaged in the Word of God on their own regularly. And it's what you kind of know, right? The Word of God is so precious, it's so valuable. Lori, this past week, I don't know about you, but my week this week, I needed the Word of God in a way that I haven't felt in a while. And it's that morning time walking through my hear journal and journaling with the Lord and hearing from the Lord, and it's like my soul is so dry and so thirsty, and just drinking that in was so life-transforming. But the cool thing is, as you go through that, you come and share that with the girls. It's not a, another Bible study. It's not listening to anybody, and we do all those things here. But tell a little bit about the Word of God and what it's meant to you and those group of girls that you're with. Okay, well, I mean, it's a Bible study, so I've been in good Bible studies before, and, but... I think there's something about going through the scripture chronologically, and there's no other book I have to buy. I'm just every day sitting down and reading um, some scripture and then sharing um, what verse spoke to me and then how I can apply that, how I can um, use that specifically in my life that week. Um, but I think the biggest surprise for me in, in studying the scripture with this group of girls, there's actually six in our group, but when you're with six people for a long-term basis, you can't really keep your mask on. You kind of have to share and be transparent. And um, so we found out our, our flaws, our strengths, our, our victories, but also our failures. And when you do that, you grow really close together. Sorry. Um, but I felt like when we uh, um, started growing those long-term relationships, um, we got to a deeper level and were able to hold each other accountable. And I'm so thankful for that big surprise because I thought, you know, I get to know these women, but I had been in Bible studies here at Taylor's before on Wednesday nights, and they were great, and I'm so thankful. But when I came here, I didn't really know anybody. So it was hard to form those relationships in the 15 minutes before and after a video. Um, so when we're walking together for uh, those, you know, a year long and we're meeting in small groups, then it's been really great to see those relationships form. And I feel like they're my girl squad, you know. They're my, they're my people now. They're praying for me, and there's that accountability. So, um, yeah, it's been, really, it's been really great. It sounds a lot more simple. I've heard you say this to me. It sounds a lot more, or to, to a group of people you were speaking to, it's a lot more simple than it sounds. True? Yeah. That's one of your surprises as well. Last question, um, the greatest benefit of this group. You've mentioned some already, relationships, the word. What, what else? I mean, there are the typical benefits of studying scripture with people. You're accountable. Um, you're learning a lot. Um, so you have a fellowship, all that kind of stuff. But I think, and this may be just personal for me, but this is what I've been learning is that um, as I see these women go through these struggles and yet persevere, then I um, understand even more fully that I'm not alone 
that my weaknesses are not any hindrance, a hindrance to God and his kingdom work, and that he is powerful. For example, a few weeks ago we were studying um, the children of Israel as they came to the promised land. And they're so excited, and they get up there, and they send in the spies, and then they come back and they say, you know, these guys, they're super big, and we can't do this, and we're all grasshoppers. And the cool thing is that I'm learning is that we're all grasshoppers. We're all weak, and we all fail, but that God can do really great things through grasshoppers. And those people didn't know that, but I'm learning that, and that God doesn't need, he doesn't need Goliaths. He needs, he needs Davids. And um, I feel like I'm learning that through the D groups and learning that from the other women in my group. And I'm just so excited about the work that God's doing in our group. Thank you so much, Lord. Can I pray for you and for the time this evening? Six o'clock over in the apex. Just come. I might be interested in learning more about what it means to either join or to lead, but to see my life transformed in this remarkable way. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for Lori Buck for Benj and their children and the time that she invests with you, but then with others so that her family can grow and so that those that she'll invest in in the days ahead, they will grow and that our church can become stronger. And Lord, we pray this evening at six that you would speak to hearts. Even this afternoon, you would draw people to that time so that we can share the incredible news that God is in the business of changing lives through his word, by his spirit, through his people, for his son, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Ruth, to turn to um, Ruth chapter 2 this morning. We're going to go through just a short little section here. And um, I love this story that we've been going through. The story of Naomi was an older widow, and she brings along her daughter-in-law named Ruth. They land in her hometown. They've left to go to Moab. They've come back because uh, God has responded, and the famine is no longer there. And it's the start of the barley harvest, so there's rejoicing. There's joy. We're starting to turn a new page. But here's where we see Naomi last when we were together and she is crying out. She's asking the Lord a simple question that maybe some of you have asked and it's simply this. And I'm going to paraphrase. Why, God? Why have you put me in this situation? Do you ever say that? Why, God, have you put me in a place of desperation where I need to know what the next step is? I need endurance or I just simply need to know the next step. Why, God? This is where we left him. And the question is, what are they going to do next? We're going to look at the steps of Ruth, and we want to learn about what it means to take next steps in transition. You graduates, you are in a place of transition. You are in a place in which you're going to take next steps. And you're going to learn that continually you'll be in transition. For instance, the major that you've already declared in your college I'll buy you a Frappuccino if that's the major that you graduate with in four years. Because you're going to be in transition. There's going to be change ahead. For all of us, we're, we're in places of transition and change. We're at crossroads all the time. In our marriages, some of you are at a crossroads in your marriage. And you've got to decide what's the next step because this can't keep going the way it's going. Some of you are at a crossroads when it comes to decisions you have to make about your job, about your career, about your children, about retirement, 
about your ailing parents. You're at a place where you're asking, Father, I need to make a decision here. There's an opportunity. I can go this way. I can go that way. I can take a step towards this direction or a step in this direction. I need to know how do I take this step. No matter where we are in life, we're always going to face these things. And so what does Ruth do. I just want to, I just want to follow Ruth a little bit and learn her heart and quickly speak to us this morning, draw from the scriptures this morning, how Ruth takes the next step of transition, the next step of change, the next step in the crossroads of her life. So Ruth chapter two, verses one through seven this morning, if you have your place, I invite you to stand for the reading of the word of God. It's our way here at Taylor's, if you're one of our guests, to simply respect the reading of the word as we know the word changes lives. And here's what it says, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, and the Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Now whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. You may be seated and may the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. We find in verse one, really the capstone, the title to what's to come ahead. And we're introduced to this character named Boaz. He's going to really become a central character from this point forward. Now, what I need you to do is try and put on the hat where you, where you can, you can look at the story without knowing the end of the story as we walk with Ruth together. But Boaz, over time, as we see him in the verses we just read, coming and protecting and providing for Ruth, Boaz is going to be this amazing character that we're going to see in him the life of Jesus himself over time. And it says in verse 1 that Boaz, as we're introduced to him, is from the clan of Elimelech. He's eligible to do something incredibly special for Ruth and for Naomi because he is from the same family. He's related. He's, he is eligible, but he is also, my text says, the interpretation of the ESV says he is a worthy man. I don't know what your interpretation says. Some might say wealthy, but here's what that word worthy means. You ready? The word worthy can mean wealthy and influential. 
It can also mean that he was potentially a part of the military. It means warrior-like. So here's the impression we have of Boaz to this point. He is wealthy. We know he owns these fields. He is influential in the community. He could have served in the military. He is this strong individual in contrast to the names and the, and the husbands of Naomi and Orpah. Do you remember their names? The names of those two guys, here's what their names meant. You ready? Sickly and destruction. How do you like those two names? So sickly and, so Ruth and Orpah marry sickly and destruction. That didn't turn out so good as they die. But here comes eligible to do something remarkable, wealthy, influential, strong, and brave. And here's what we're going to learn about Boaz from this point forward. And here's what I want you to kind of put into your mind. Write it down in your notes. Every time you see the word Boaz, do this. Think of this, and we'll put it on the screen for you. I want you to think of this phrase, that God protects, God provides, and God fulfills his purposes for me. You graduates, do you have your iPhones with you? Do you have them? Yes? Yes? Can you shake your heads? I want you to take your iPhones out, all right? And here's what I want you to do, all right? This might be the last sermon you ever hear your preacher preach, all right? I want you to take notes this morning, all right? Not because this is going to be the most wonderful sermon you've ever heard. It won't be. But from my heart to you, I want to speak to you about transition. And I want you to write these things down because here's what's going to happen. I pray you take it with you through every transition you make. Church. I want you to take these things with you through every transition that you make. And here's the first thing that I want you to remember. That God protects, provides, and will fulfill his purposes for you through the only rescuer who can do it. And that is Jesus. And before we even take that first step in figuring out where do we go, how do we move in transition, how do we make decisions... How, what's the next step in my marriage? How do I care for an ailing parent when I don't have the money or the wherewithal or the understanding to know how to do that? Here, understand this truth right here, that God protects, provides, and will fulfill his purpose for you. That's encouraging news right there. And this is going to underlie the entire story from this point forward, that God protects, he provides, and fulfills his purposes. So in that light, look at how Ruth moves. Verse 2, she comes to Naomi and she says, I'm going to go glean in the field. And here's her very first step, all right? We'll try and move through these quickly. Step number one, when you're in transition or at a crossroads, step with humility. Graduates, wherever you go, whatever you do, take a step and step with humility. Here's what we find Ruth doing. She is going to take advantage of a law that's in the land in which God's heart provides through the law for those who are, you ready for these categories? Here's the categories. Who are poor, who are widowed, who are immigrants or resident aliens. For those who are fatherless, those who cannot care for themselves. God set out a provision in his law, a certain category for those who didn't have land to the most vulnerable people that were in the nation of Israel. 
They were vulnerable because they were poor. They were vulnerable because of their condition. And God said, my heart is for them. And so what he did in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he said to the reapers during the harvest time around the margins of the field, you set aside some grain. And when the reapers go through, and with their left hand, they cut the grain and it falls down. And with their other hand, they come down and they pick it up. The reapers, you don't glean everything. You don't be so meticulous and you don't be so, so um, greedy about your grain that you're going to miss out on something. I want you to be generous so that when the poor and the widowed and the orphans and the immigrants and those who are vulnerable, they can come in and they can go behind the, the workers and they can go behind the women reapers and they can come last, but there's something for them. I want you to be generous to them. But for those groups of people, this is an incredibly humble experience. And here's what Ruth could have said. She could have said, Naomi, um, I followed you here, so now what are we going to do? And over time, she could have thought, Ruth, or Naomi, you put me in this position. Here's what humility does not do when it gets to a crossroads when you're desperate. Humility does not blame other people. A humility in marriage does not blame the husband or the spouse. Humility in marriage quickly looks inside. Ruth looks inside and says, how can I begin to move forward? How can I begin to make a way? And here's what humility does. Humility takes off the robe of entitlement that for some reason I feel entitled I feel entitled to, to this. I feel entitled to hold on. I feel entitled to the rights that are mine. I feel entitled because you've wronged me. I feel entitled. Therefore, I'm going to sit here and you make the move. Here's what humility does. Humility says, I know you feel entitled and I might feel entitled in return. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take off the road of entitlement and I'm going to put on the towel of extending mercy. Ruth could have said, Naomi, I've had enough. I followed you here. Things aren't moving. Things aren't working. And she extends mercy. I got it, Naomi. I got it. I'm running to the field. Naomi, it's going to be hard. Or Ruth says, or Naomi says, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I, I, I got it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move down the class. I, I'm not a reaper. I'm not a woman that, that, that comes behind the reapers. I'm with the poor and I'm with those who are disadvantaged. I'm with the vulnerable. And, and I'm going to come in and I've got it. I've got it. I'm going to serve faithfully. Graduates, when you take a step, take a step of humility. Humility towards other people. Never feel entitled. Always extend mercy to others. Here's the second thing. Courage. Step marked by courage. Quickly look at verses 8 through 10. Boaz says to Ruth, this is when Boaz meets Ruth. He begins conversing with her and he says this, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to her, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Courage. 
when you're in transition, always look to act with great courage. Now, this is hard. This was hard for Ruth. She's a, she's a Moabite. The Moabites have a reputation. Their women have a reputation for, for attracting men, for being prostitutes, for causing the Jewish men to go astray. That's kind of their label. That's their tag. They're foreigners anyway. There's discrimination as they're coming in. She's a widow. And so here's what Boaz is saying. I read you verses 8 through 10 because what Boaz is saying is you need protection because you're taking great courage to come out here. The language that Boaz used says the men could potentially verbally abuse you, physically abuse you. You're taking great, a, a great risk to come in and to serve here in this way. I'm going to protect you. And when it comes to transition, here's where we, we begin to kind of cower a little bit. We begin to pull back a little bit because we'd rather be comfortable. We'd rather be complacent. We don't understand the condition that we're in and the condition that we could possibly move out of. And we fail to see the opportunity when it comes to us to take courage. How many times in life, adults, how many times in life can you look back and you can say, if only I would have stepped in with great grace and great courage in that situation. Opportunities will come, graduates. Opportunities will come to you, and you will be asked to, to stand up and to step in with great courage. This past week, I was having coffee with one of our members, and he's a representative of the Voice of the Martyrs. This is a group in 1947 where in Romania, a prisoner was uh, a pastor or a church leader was put in jail. He was beaten. He comes out. He founded this group. They've been around for 60 years now. Wonderful, wonderful group. And I got to learn a lot about him. But what he gave me was what I'm wearing here, this bracelet. I've been wearing it throughout the weekend to remind me of courage. And you can't see on my bracelet, but there's this little symbol. We'll put it up on the screen. And it's a, an Arabic symbol. And that symbol right there over the last couple of years has been used by ISIS as they've gone into Syria and they've gone into major cities there. And as they go in, here's what they want to do. They want to find people in their homes and they want to find employers in their businesses who are followers of Jesus. And that symbol right there is the Arabic letter for N. And the reason that they use the letter N and they take that and they spray paint it or they paint it on homes and they paint it on businesses is because they're saying these people are Nazarenes. These are, Naz these are followers of the Nazarene. These are followers of Jesus. And these people have this mark put on them, this mark which takes great courage. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you not? Do you profess Jesus or will you die? Do you profess Jesus or give up your business? What are you going to do? Some of them say we're followers of Jesus and they mark the door and they mark the windows and they mark the buildings with the letter N. These are followers of Christ. Oh, how we need great courage. Graduates, we need you to have great courage. And I find it so interesting. I mean, our commitment to the body of Christ, our commitment to the church. We wake up in the morning, it's pouring down rain, and we're going to look out the window and go, oh, I don't know if I can make it to church this morning. I, I don't know. I'll get wet this morning. You know, I'm just thinking, how are we going to get here? And yet people are having ends painted on their homes and their businesses, and they're getting their heads chopped off. And when we take steps into transition. God calls for courage. This is hard. This is hard. 
And I love what Winston Churchill said. I'm a big Churchill fan. I saw a quote this past week, and I've heard it before, and I wrote it down in my journal that is so needed in the Christian life, and you need it for your endurance, and you need it for your walk with Christ when it comes to having courage when you're weak and having courage when you think your reputation is going to go out the window and when you think people are going to, going to exclude you, students. When that pressure is there, and that pressure is there to walk into that marriage or to walk into that counselor or to walk into that home with those children or to walk into that conflict. And the pressure is there just to evade and to stand back. Here's the courage that you need. I love what Churchill said. He says, success is not final and fa- failure is never fatal. But what is needed most is the courage to continue. Continue. This is what Ruth did. She, she had the courage to, to continue with Naomi, to continue in the fields. Thirdly, a step marked by kindness. Verse 6, read it with me. A servant who was in charge of the reapers answered to Boaz when he asked, who in the world is this gal? He says she is the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. Skip down to verse 11, and Boaz is speaking to Ruth here. They're having this conversation, and he says this, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your, in your native land and come to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward may he give you. Real quickly, a step marked by kindness. Kindness is just not simple courtesy. Kindness is simply not something in the South that we practice. It's not simply just a warmth that oozes out every now and then. A kindness is a commitment. A kindness is a sacrifice. A kindness is an all out, I am all in for somebody else. Not because they owe me something, not because I'm obligated to them, not because I have a duty to do so, but simply because out of the kindness that God has given to me, I in turn will show kindness to them. You see, this kindness that Ruth paid to Naomi is a gospel kindness. And what I mean by that is the gospel comes to people who are enemies of God. The gospel comes to people who are separated from God, but God looks down on them and he doesn't judge them as he should because of their sin, but instead he sends his son to take on the wrath and the judgment of God. And he says, here is my kindness to you, that you deserve death and hell and judgment, but I will be kind to you and show mercy. Even though you rebel, even though you oppose me, even though you resist me, I offer my kindness to you. Is that how we treat others? Graduates, there'll be a day when the kindness that you show to those who you'll room with and those who you'll go to school with, the kindness that you will show, the devotion, the sacrifice, the commitment to your parents as they have shown to you, that kindness will be remembered by your God. Fourth and finally, step marked by submissive determination. Look at verse 7. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short 
short rest. The, the servant to Boaz says, Boaz, here's the deal. She has come and she has begun working and all she is doing is just working, 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 working. I've never seen anything like it. And she, she's just taking a little tiny rest. She is so determined. She's so determined to provide for Naomi. She's so determined to make her way. But she's also so submissive. Verse 2, she says to Naomi, if I can find favor in your sight, at the end, when Boaz comes to her and says, I want you to stay in the field, I'm going to protect, I'm going to provide, I'm going to fulfill God's purposes for you. She says, Boaz, I have found, why have I found favor in your sight? She's submissive to him. She bows to him. There is this sense of submissive determination that marks this young woman and teaches us how to walk through transition. You know, here's what we do. Our culture says this not to submit or not to wait or not to fall under authority, but to grab what is rightfully ours or to, to kind of evade or to go around authority. Oh, we're, we're, we're taught in our culture to be determined, but we're, called, we're taught to be determined based on our individual desires and on our individual wants. And here's a beautiful, beautiful picture of a woman who is submissive to her authority, submissive to Naomi, submissive to the mercy of God, but yet determined, determined to take that next step. How about you? Where in this next journey, in this next, uh, in this next path that you're going to take, where is it that you're going to see God come to you with opportunities to take steps of humility and courage and kindness steadfast determination by God's grace by God's grace I pray I pray that you will find all that he provides for you to take those steps with confidence in God through Christ who protects who provides and who will fulfill his purpose for you let's pray together father we thank you for the opportunity to just come and to recognize our ministers who have served here faithfully, recognize people like Joe Bruce, our graduates, recognize the work in a mom, but ultimately to recognize through your word all that you have given to us through Christ. It's only because Christ was humble and because he was determined with great submission to you and he displayed your heart of kindness and because he exemplified such great courage that we can come to you. So, Father, open up our hearts to that next step. Open up our minds and our souls to where you will lead us this week when that opportunity stares us right in the face may we remember your spirit and your word today and may it change us for christ's sake in whose name we pray amen